Some of you are, I tell you. Some of you are not, but it's okay. Well, it was in the summer of 1995, and it was the Campus Crusades um, National Leadership Conference. It was a meeting that was in um, Fort Collins, Colorado. The meeting was, you know, on this campus of Colorado State University. They were actually using the basketball uh, arena there. And so you have all people from all over the country, all over um, the world, but more than a thousand of them. And unexpectedly, this lone woman just kind of walks on stage, and she's not part of the program. She's one of the staff members. And in between, she just kind of just got up on stage. And all of a sudden, she starts, she grabs the mic, and then she starts sharing how she is struggling in her faith, and then also about how um, just some of the sins that were happening in her life right at that moment. You know, there was a sense of awe. There was a sense of silence. Um, it was kind of awkward. It's a bit of shock. You know, there was a Christian leader that they, maybe they knew or did not know, but, they, but she got up on stage, and all of a sudden, she had exposed her life in such a way that all her peers could hear. You know, the Campus Crusade leadership was there, too. And you also had the speakers. You had some big names during that time. Um, Henry Blackaby. He was speaking upon you know, experiencing God. You had Billy Graham's daughter, um, Anne Graham, who was there also. And she was talking about how to listen to God. And for some odd reason, this woman had to go up there and she had to share. She had to get right with God. And one of the older staff members, she was in the crowd, and so she, she runs up on stage, and all she could do is just basically lay her hands on this girl and she could just pray. But it invoked the rest of the crowds from down from the rafters and in and this basketball arena, arena, hundreds of people would come down and they would lay hands as, far, as, as close as they could and they started praying for this girl. And there was such an outpouring of, of love and you know, in a sense it's like as many that maybe have never seen or maybe even have experienced. And she would not be the last of these staff members that would do this unexpectedly. You know, there'd be other staff members who would grab the mic and they would share their struggles with sin, the things that were happening in their life. But at the same time, there was this outpouring of love that people would come down and they would just pray. You know, the meeting was supposed to last two hours. This lasted seven hours. You know, Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, um, it's now called Crew, but hundreds of Campus Crusade for Christ's staff members, he would say, publicly, publicly repented for their personal sins. He would say that this is the most significant ministry or uh, significant meeting in the last 15 years of ministry. It would change the whole organization and how they operated and make sure they had more accountability. It changed the way the staff operated and ultimately it changed their name to crew. You know, they're doing more for Christ than ever before and some people would call this a revival. Some people called this an awakening. And either way, it was God's spirit that was moving during that time. And this wasn't an isolated event um, that just happened at that campus. But during the 1990s, I mean, it just seems as if there was a need to go and have people or God was trying to move in his spirit where there was things like promise keepers that you would hear men who, who were singing in stadiums during that time and 15 miles away that you could still hear them sing they're singing so loud. You know, you won't find a lot of these stories on the websites. You won't find this, you know, 
on social media. Because back then in 1995, there really wasn't that much social media. But if it was something that had happened today, I mean, this is something that would have blown up. It would have been viral. It would have been like, oh, what is going on? You know, some people <clears throat> would say that, you know what, it was unexpected, but at the same time, it was something that was needed during that time. And imagine the fact that um, your life being exposed in front of a crowd. You know, it's like, you kind of wonder, like, you know, how, how do I know about these stories? Actually, I was there. I was there at CSU, Colorado State University. I was one of those staff members who actually felt like, man, I really need to get right with God. And when I got up on stage, I mean, I was expecting the worst. But in response, there was one of just incredible love and support, an outpouring of acceptance that I've never expected. But can you imagine for yourself, if you had to get up on an arena, something like that, that grabbing the mic, and I'm not saying that we're doing that today, okay? I'm not saying, okay, with this pressure, if we're going to just, like, you know, expose your sins. I'm not going to be doing that today, so it's not what I'm expecting. But what I'm thinking is the fact that, like, I mean, imagine if you had to do that in front of the people that you know, your family, your wife, your daughters, your sons, your husband, your boyfriend, girlfriend, people you love, and they're all there. It would be outright terrifying to share your struggles and maybe your hidden sins. Well, that's how it feels from chapter 7 and we get into chapter 8. It's really what chapter 7 and chapter 8 are all about, and that's what it feels like. We learned in chapter 7 from Pastor Steve the fact that there's two natures that are fighting against each other. We got our fleshy self and we got our spiritual self. We know what is good for us. We know what's healthy for us, but we don't do it. We know what's bad for us. We know what's unhealthy for us. We know that what's going to mess up our life, but we still do it anyways. In chapter 7, verse, you know, chapter 7, you know, Paul speaks honestly just where he's at after thinking about all of this. And he says this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But before the ink can dry in the parchment, he says this, he adds this, thanks be to God. You know, we all have challenges in our life, struggles. We have things that um, we, have, we feel like we have enemies against our Christian faith. We have, the, we, we have the sense like the world is coming against us and is pressuring us. We have the sense we have this evil enemy that's coming against us. And at the same time, we still have within us ourselves this, this struggle, this war, this raging war that's happening inside of us. And all of these are here to go and defeat your family, to defeat and separate your marriage. It wants to defeat your life. It wants to steal your soul. They want to keep you from having any kind of joy, any kind of purpose, any kind of meaning in life. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you realize the fact that, you know what? The greatest enemy is not the world. The greatest enemy in our faith is not the evil one. But many times the greatest enemy that we have against us is ourselves that I am the wretched man, that I am the worst enemy of all. You know, but you know what? Paul would pen these words. It's like a pivot point from seven, from seven, that going backwards to one, one to seven. But there's this pivot point that happens right here at eight. And he would say this. He says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from 
free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And I want you to feel this pivot point, this gravity of what has happened within the scripture is the fact that we start learning a little bit more about God in the fact that, you know what, we don't have to go after these extraordinary experiences, somehow these things that would change my life, but these extraordinary experiences is something that we can experience with God and his Holy Spirit every single day. You know, what is he, what is he writing about? He's going to be writing about the fact that, yes, it's going to help us understand more about God. But it's also going to help us to find, you know what, we can find security, we can feel this love, we can feel this support every single day. You know, everybody desires a fulfilled life. We long to be less frustrated, we want to be more faithful in our walk with God, but is that even possible? You know, and God says, yes. The changes necessary to go and live this abundant life, humanly impossible. You can try as much as you can. You can do things as much as you can, but you won't be able to do it. But Romans chapter 8 offers this thing, this good news. The victorious Christian life is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. The secret lies in allowing God's Spirit to take control and change our spiritual walk. So why don't you go and please open up your Bibles today. Open up your apps. Take out your notes. We are continuing in our series of just Romans, but in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the greatest chapter. Actually, chapter 8 is known as the jewel of all Scripture. You know, as you're turning there, someone once told me, and I've heard this before, is the fact that if you're walking with your Bible, and it's in a hot and sweaty day, and your Bible would just go and slip out of your hand, God forbid, but it slipped out of your hand, but miraculously, it would open up to Romans chapter 8. Oh, that would be kind of scary, right? Now, I don't want you to go and try that with your Bibles because most of you have it on your apps. I don't want you to like, be dropping your phone to say, hey, does it open up to Romans chapter 8? Okay, don't do that, okay? But I know there's rebels in us, so you know, there's some of us who are going to try this today. So if, if that happens, let me know how that goes, okay? But we're Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. And let me read a few verses of these. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of, <clears throat> spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And if you have your notes, if you want to take some notes, you know, it says the believer's reality before God. And the fact that there's a new reality that happens when you are in Christ. And these are three truths that you need to go and keep, okay? This is something I need you to memorize to go and keep with you. And number one is the fact that we are eternally secure in Christ. Eternally secure. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that you will never be put to shame that you are eternally secure. And you're going to let these words, no condemnation, be riveted within your brain. Okay? God does not judge you for all the things that you have done wrong. He doesn't judge you because he has already judged Jesus. And the fact that he has already, you don't need to be, feel this sense of condemnation because Jesus has already taken that condemnation for us, from us. That there's no such thing as wrath because right? he's took that wrath, he's taken that penalty, he's taken that time. And if you're a believer, 
You know, this passage is for us, right? Because people who have given ourselves to Jesus Christ have made that decision. But if this does not apply to you, if you have not received Christ yet, but if you have received Christ, you know what? The Bible says that you have no condemnation. When you come to Christ, God says, you know what? He never will say, get out of my life. Get out of my family. He will never say that. You are eternally secure. In number two, it says this, that we are internally free from sin's dominion and the fear of death. And this thing is just this hold on sin. It has no more power because the Holy Spirit right now resides in us. Okay? Get that kind of clear. And the fact that there's a new reality that has happened. But you're thinking, well, I'm free, but, you know, you've been talking about there's a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Yes, there's that. Struggle and our uncontrolled thoughts continually get the best of us. And we're going to talk more about that in the later parts of this chapter. But for now, just remember the fact that our uncontrolled thoughts, it will absolutely ruin your life. Number three is this, that we are positionally righteous. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And we've talked a lot about the law. What was the law trying to do? It was the law was trying to make us holy, right? But we learned from Pastor Steve and the other speakers, in fact, that you know what? all the law could do was reveal sin. All the law could do was the fact is like get us to a point like, ah, oh, that's what sin's all about. It could never fulfill the law. It could never make us holy. The, the law, all it could do was an announce, right? It says, do this, do that. Do this, do that. You do this, you do that, you're holy. You don't do that, man, you're righteous. That's all it could do, but it had no power to go and make us holy. But God did. When Christ when, came in the likeness of sin as an offering for sin, now whose sin did he die for? He didn't die for his sin because he was sinless. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. That was a sin that was Put on the cross. In verse 4, it says that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled, what does it say, by us, for us? It says, in us. And there's, we know the fact that there's a new reality and the fact that the Holy Spirit's with us, but we start asking the question, so what is this new requirement? What is it that, and how do we re- fulfill this new requirement that is in us? You know, it says this in, in Romans 8, 4. We'll kind of go this in us. The fulfillment happens as we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to go and be within us. And so it's according to the Spirit. The fulfillment is actually found, and I will say this, it, the fulfillment of the new reality is actually found in Christ. It's found in actually in his love for our neighbors. Let me read from verse 13, chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And the other command is summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to your neighbor. You know what? Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. There's a new reality when we are in Christ. And so before... We had to fulfill this whole requirement of saying, you know, be perfect, do all these things. But God says, because he's already paid for this already, there's a new reality, and this new reality is saying, allow the Holy Spirit to produce something within you. And what is this thing? It's called love. And we know what love is, and we know from Galatians 5, it says, 
But the fruit of the Spirit, so the production of what the Spirit does in our life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against all of such things, there is no law. These, those who belong to Christ Jesus has been crucified, has crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And you start seeing the fact that, wow, so the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to produce something within our life if we are in Christ. But we have to allow the Spirit to be in control. So these are the three truths. So we're going to be talking a little bit about, you know what, these are the things you need to hold on to. The second half, we're going to talk about things that we need to work on. The last part is things that we need to let go. And so, but let's make sure we hold on to these three truths. The fact that, you know what, I am, in, I am secure in Christ. I am free from the things that have once dominated me. And you know what, thank you, God. You know why? Because I am righteous in your eyes. And you have to let be known, the fact that, you know what, you are righteous within God's eyes right now. You don't have to work. You don't have to labor. You don't have to plead with God. Please listen to me. Right? Does he listen to his son? Yes, he does. If he listens to his son, then guess what? Because of the righteousness that has been given to us, the fact that he listens to you, and that is by grace, right? For by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. But we're not home yet. We're not, we're not just home yet, right? Because we understand the fact that, we, okay, I understand these things, but you talked about in the beginning, there's these two natures, right? The, the fleshy side, the one that just, that's, unspiritual nature and you got this side of like man you got the spirit the holy spirit who is calling us and so how do we allow the spirit to control so let's look at romans 8 5 to 11 and there's two lifestyles in your notes i just put on here it says walking according to the flesh results in a fleshly mindset okay get that straight and then walking according to the spirit is a spiritual mindset so fleshly mindset spiritual mindset let me read in verse 5 For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set your mind on flesh is death. To set on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. In fact, the Spirit dwells within you. Anyone who ha- does, have, does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the de- dead dwells in you, means the fact the Holy Spirit knows your address, he is living with you right now, that he, that he has raised Christ from the dead, will also give life to our mortal, bo- mortal bodies through the Spirit, his spirit who dwells in you. Okay. So we've got it now, the fact that there's two natures, right? We got that fleshly mindset. We got that spiritual mindset with, you know, working against us. And, you know, just going back and forth, right? You've ever had, like, Pastor Steve, like, stuck in your head for a long time? I don't know. I did. For the last two weeks, I had him stuck in my head. And, I, and there was this one thought that he, taught, he said uh, a couple weeks ago that kind of stuck in my head. And I couldn't get it out. I was on vacation, and I couldn't get him out. Okay? But this whole thing is the fact that our bodies is actually neutral in this whole war. You know, we have our fleshly mindset. We have our, you know, the Spirit of God pulling on us. But over whatever you choose, going through the flesh, going towards the Spirit, the body just follows. Okay? So our body's neutral. 
And when I was thinking about that, and the fact that, um, that, that our battlefield, it's not our bodies, and we think we have to change ourselves, we have to kind of control our anger. Actually, the battlefield really is our mind. It's our soul, it's our fruition, the direction of where we want to take our life. Do we want to follow the flesh, or do we want to follow God? I want you to put this in your notes if you're taking notes. Can't break the habit. Can't break the habit. You know, I was thinking about the body and things about, like, you know, I think our body, I think we're very capable people. I believe that you think that you're very capable. You know, the more and more we hear about and learning about just the, the brain and the body, I mean, we have so much potential within us. You know, us as humans, we are amazing Right? We have the capacity to improve, we have capacity to learn, capacity to get better, we can strive, we can go and persevere, we can get more. And I don't refute that at all. And so I was kind of reading a little bit more on, in, in the fields of like neuroscience and also psychology. And I just want to make a disclaimer, I am not a neuroscientist and I'm not a psychologist, okay? Um, I was actually kind of learning some stuff because I'm like a Hawaiian boy who was learning how to go and paddle board better and so I just wanted to perform better. So that's the only reason why I was kind of reading this kind of stuff, okay? But then there's whole thing is, is this, the fact that Carol Dweck, there's a person named Carol Dweck, she wrote this book called The Growth Mindset Versus the Fixed Mindset. And we know in the fact that humans, the fact that like, man, our human potential is you can have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. So before, we would think, based on your IQ, that's all you can do in life. We realize the fact that, man, it's not based on your IQ, it's your EQ, it's also based on your perspective in life that you can continue to learn and grow, and I can agree with that. Angela Lee Duckworth said this, and she's actually, um, she wrote this book called Grit. And she talks about this need for perseverance and tenacity that is something that's very important because these things don't come easy. You know, tenacity, important in our life. You know, those, and I hear more and more from millennials, like, man, I, my job, man, I started this job, I hate my job already, I want to quit. Man, read this book, right? You need some grit in your life. You need some tenacity in your life. I tell my daughters, and this is like the Tabal saying. It says that you can do anything that you want to do in life as long as you have a normal, a normal intelligence. And, you know, sometimes we feel weird, but we are all normal. But what will set you apart will be an abnormal tenacity. And if you have an abnormal tenacity, you can do almost anything. And I believe in that too. So we can grow, we can work really hard, but at the same time, we feel like, man, things are just still very futile. We don't feel like we can do very much. You know, Daniel Coyle, he wrote this book called The Talent Code. And he wanted to find out how the top athletes and the top musicians, what did they do to develop Talents and skills. And this is when I, I kind of went and kind of was reading this book because I wanted to paddleboard better. And so if you want to be a better soccer player, you want to be a better musician, you want to get better grades and everything, it just comes down to one thing. Build good habits. Oh, we kind of know that. And one of the greatest discoveries that they discovered was this mixtures of proteins and this other stuff. I'm not a neuroscientist. I am not a psychologist. But they call this thing myelin. Myelin is very interesting because as soon as I started reading more about this, I thought, man, this is just like our Christian faith. It's like we have this thing where we have to develop these good habits because we have the struggle between that of the flesh and that of the spirit. And how do we develop good habits so we can continually follow God? And so learning how to master any skills takes time and effort. But there is this neural insulator. Now, 
all illustrations are not always the best, but we're going to talk about this. Myelin is this fatty tissue that goes around these axons or these fibers within our body. And the more myelin that you have around these fibers, the stronger the signal. There's these electrical impulses. So it'd be something like this. So I, I just picked up my cord. So I got my iPad cord, and inside there is a wire. So these fibers or neuro, um, neural pathways that are there. But inside, inside, the wires inside, myelin acts like the insulation, that rubber part that goes around the wire. The more myelin you go around there, you know what? The electrical impulses, less of that leaks out. So the stronger the signal, the faster it can go. So if you're learning how to go and, you know, you know, basically learn how to go and swing a bat or something, the more you practice, the more you do. Right or wrong, you're kind of setting these impulses and myelin is being formed around it. And that's why athletes, the top performers, man, they practice over and over again the skills. These musicians, they practice over and over again, fast or slow, but they get better and better. And people would say, well, you know, are you building your skill? Actually, you're building myelin in your life, so that way there's the electrical pulses go faster and faster. But when I was thinking about that, man, that's kind of like, can it be like our Christianity too? Before we were a Christian, there was this line that we had with sin. And from the time of Adam's fall, we've had myelin that is forming around this one electrical cord that it has this hold on us. And then when, when we go and we sin more, we, we add more myelin over and over again. And that's the reason why it's so easy to go down there because the electrical impulses or our, or our tendency, our propensity is to sin. When we came to know Christ, all of a sudden we grabbed hold of God, grabbed, God grabbed hold of us. All of a sudden there was this line that was made, but it was an itsy-bitsy line. No myelin around it. So in the beginning we wonder, man, why is it so hard for me to read my Bible? Why is it hard for me to go to church? Because the myelin, the spiritual myelin that the, the spirits hold in our life, it's, there's none or very little. We've had this myelin lasting for years and decades and it has this hold upon our lives. And one of the things that we learn is the fact that, you know what, um, once a neural pathway is made in your brain or these fibers that go through your body and the myelin is formed around it, you can't break the habit. All you can do is build new ones. You have to build a new habit. You can't replace the old habits. You know, can you just kind of cut it off? You can't do it yourself. You have to build a new habit. So you try to do that over and over again. And so when I was reading through this, you know, there's this choice that we have in life. And there's one side that says the fact that are we edging God out? And another side says the fact that are we exalting God only? You know, when we're edging, you know, so in the middle of all that, you know, our body says, you know, who will be the object of my worship? Will it be God or will it be ourselves? Will it be my family? Will it be just that car or that thing that I want? And, we, and we, whatever we choose, we, we can go and say, we can etch God out, follow that, build some myelin, or we can exalt God only, and we can build that myelin there. As a source of my security and self-worth and wisdom. You know, is it based on my title, my position? I'm a dad, I'm a mom, I'm a student. We kind of put that as our security. Or we can say, you know what, I am, I am ultimately eternally securing Christ, 
that, you know what, I am progressively in the fact that, you know what, God has, the dominion of sin has no hold on me anymore. And the fact that, you know what, I am, I am righteous in his eyes. That we allow those things to do, to hold us. The last is this, the fact that as the audience and authority over my daily work and my life story. Who's setting your life story? You know, is, this, is the story being said in the fact that of God saying, you know what, I know that you have a purpose and plan for me, one not to harm me or hurt me, one to give me a future and a hope. Or we just say, you know what, I'm going to edge God out so that I can do it myself. I know my plan, and I'll do it my way. And so the choice on there, when I put in your notes, you can choose one or the other. Where are you at today? Are you someone who is edging God out, or is someone that you're exalting God only? And that's your choice. So, but at the same time, I'm thinking because you're here, you are exalting God only. I'm thinking that's what it is because you guys are here. But at the same time, how do you build these habits, these spiritual habits, so that way we can go and strengthen the myelin that, God, that God's Holy Spirit's hold on our life? How can we build that? So I looked at this book and then I was like, man, you know, this thing is called deep practice. And that this makes sense for us even as a Christians. Number one is it's called chunk it up, chunk it up. Chunk it up means the fact that if you take like a music score to go and learn it better, you would actually chunk it up. You would break it down into pieces so you play the different pieces, the ones that are easier, the ones that are harder, work on those ones that are harder, play those a little bit slower. For us in our Christian life, I think that God has already chunked it up for us. When Galatians chapter five, we read that already, but maybe you choose one of these and you say, I'm gonna work on this portion in my life right now. Because in verse, um, chapter 5, verse 22, it says, but the, spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And what are one of those things that maybe you need to work on today? Another one is called slow it down. And we know this as Christians. We need to slow down a bit more. Right? Be still and know that I am God. And God gives us many opportunities that we can slow down. That's the reason why he's made us to come to church, to slow down, to get away from our normal activities, make it a habit. Take time to read our Bibles, make it a habit. Take time to do devotions. Take time to pray, right? This is the reason why he gives us holidays, right? Christmas and Easter. Man didn't put it there. God put it in there so that it reminds us, hey, take time to go and make me first. Take time to slow down. Make some corrections in your life. You know, one thing that we do here at Living Hope, we have this thing called the Life Journal. And this Life Journal is, you know, a way for you to kind of write down your thoughts. It's a year, it's reading through the Bible within a year of building a habit. One thing that people don't know is the fact that we even have our prayer times. You know, times of morning prayer on Saturdays at 6.30 in the morning. Once a month we have prayer in the evening, so if you can't wake up in the morning, you can come in the evening. But the devotions that we say during those prayer meetings actually come from here. And so we are learning to learn to, to build a habit as a community to go and learn how to walk to God together, build that spiritual myelin, build that hold of the spirit of the Holy Spirit in our lives together. Right? That's why we go to cell group, right? We we build all of these different habits. He's giving us time to just slow down. Hopefully it's a different perspective for you. That we don't go and read our Bibles, we don't go to church, we don't go and pray to somehow make us look like, man, I'm a pretty good Christian. We go to church to build that myelin within our lives, that spiritual myelin, so that way the hold of the, hold of the Holy Spirit comes stronger 
so that way we can quickly hear his voice. We can go and quickly respond. When times when we are just being pulled by the flesh, we say, you know what, no, but this, this line is stronger, right? That's the reason why we do these things. And number three is this. It just, it's called repeat it. You're thinking, it's called repetition. So we got to do this over and over again? Yeah, that's the way that God has made it. Oh, but it's monotonous. Yeah, that's, but that's how you build that spiritual mind, the hold of the Holy Spirit in your life. You got to do it over and over and over again so that the line becomes, that, that mind becomes stronger and that signal comes stronger too. Number four is always practice at the edge of your capabilities. And this is called the stretch zone. You know, as if you want to improve it as an athlete, you got to stretch a little bit more, go, try to go a little faster. As a musician, you got to try to play a little bit more clearly, maybe a little qu- quicker, maybe a little bit more precise. For us as Christians, we have to go and kind of be our, you know, get into a stretch zone. You know, naturally, this is, some people think like, you know what, so you're telling us to serve? Yeah, you know, be an usher, be a greeter, go and help out with the kids, help out with catapult, help out with R28, help out with Prime. But I want to give you a different perspective of why. Because you want to stretch your faith a little bit more, and this is a safe place. When you're stretching and be, when you're, you're stretching yourself in a safe place, you can make mistakes. You can be a shepherd. And I was talking to one of our shepherds um, yesterday, and she was saying, you know, but you know, I'm, I'm going to be new to this. I don't know if I can go and actually kind of facilitate the questions. And I said, you know, don't worry about it, because there's so much grace when you're in you know, a cell group. However you do it, there's always going to be so much grace. People are, will support you. They will help you along the way. It's a safe place. But you're developing and you're, you know, you're, you're going and trying to stretch yourself to such a place where you say, work with the kids. Because you know why? It's going to develop patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. Right? That's the reason why. Because when we go to the outside world, there is no forgiveness. There is no leeway. They'll just say, oh, you call yourself a Christian? Man, I don't see any fruit in that. That's why you do it here. And you develop your skills here. So practice is something we need, but we have to do, learn how to develop practice the right way, develop the right, you know, the right habits. So you can chunk it up, you can slow it down, you can repeat it, and you always practice over and over again. So we've talked about what you've got to hold on to, man. It's something you've got to rivet in your brain that I am secure. We've talked about the things that we've got to work on, and we always have things that we've got to work on. But same, there are some things, man, we, we definitely have to just let go. In verse 12, it says, So then, brothers and sisters... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit and you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And there's some things we just have to let go. You know, my daughter this past summer, she learned how to swim. <laughs> it's so good she can learn how to swim. You know, it's actually kind of, kind of relieved, um, kind of, it relieves me because all these years, I've been taking her out in the ocean and I didn't realize the fact that she didn't know how to swim. <laughs> I was like, I thought she did, but I guess she didn't. Um, but she said, I, I need to learn how to swim. So I gave her swimming classes. And so, you know, one of the things that you learn, first learn to swim, you know, you learn to put your face in the water and to get used to that. But one of the first lessons is you learn how to float. So she, you know, she went to her first class and she comes back and says, honey, so how was your first class? She, her response is, I learned how to drown. <laughs> so you learned how to drown? Yeah, I was like, ah, I just kept going in the ocean. But you know what? She knows how to swim now. And one of the things, when I think about this, as a Christian, the first thing we got to do 
is we have to learn how to die. We have to learn how to die so we can learn how to live. You know, we have to constantly be dying to ourselves. You know, my wife, she says these things over and over again, and, you know, it just gets monotonous in my brain. It's like repetition. She says, in her prayer, she goes, let go, let God, let go, let God. It's always somewhere in her prayer. Let go, let God. Try to see if you kind of hear that. And, you know, we are debtors, right? And not to the flesh anymore, but to the spirit. And I was talking about this fact that you cannot break a habit. You know, I learned the fact that you can actually break a habit. But it has to be something dramatic. It has to be something tragic. It's like some, some kind of accident that happens to your body, happens to your brain. And all of a sudden, those neurons, those, those things, those neural pathways are broken. That's the only way to break those habits, those muscle memories in your life. But I had to think about this in the fact that, you know what? Something tragic, something dramatic has happened. That, you know what? When Christ, when he died on the cross, he died for our sins, he died for our shame, he died for it all. That somehow, the hold of sin has actually been broken. It has no power. It, 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 you got to understand, and sometimes we feel like we're struggling with all these, but the sinful mindset, it has no power on you anymore. And the fact that we have to let go of it because we have to let God. You know, so we, we, we hold on to God. Sometimes we feel like we're letting go of God, but, but God is still holding on to us. We have the opportunity that, you know what, we say that sin has this hold on us. I think sometimes it's us holding on to the sin. And we have to learn how to just let it go because it has no power on you anymore. And so you have to let God be your master. Let the Holy Spirit take control. Build that spiritual myelin. I have these two questions on your sheet. And if you want to read that, it says number one is this. Am I absolutely certain that I am a believer in Jesus Christ today? If you have never received Christ, and if your answer is yes, that's great. We're going to the next question. If your answer is no, you've got to answer this first. If you have not received Christ, then all of the promises that we've just talked about do not apply to you. You have to receive Christ first. But if you have received Christ, the second question is for you. Is my mind firmly set on my flesh or on, this, on God's spirit? Am I edging God out or am I exalting him only? And I would ask this question, be like, who's your master? Because ultimately, you, you can only serve one or the other. So I would ask, so who's your master today? Let me read this one poem as we close. And it's called The Touch of the Master's Hand. And it says, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on this old violin." He held it up with a smile and says, what my bid, good folks? Who started, to, who started the bid? And he goes, well, a dollar? A dollar? Who will give me two? Who will give me three? Three going once, going twice, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. And then wiping the dust off the old violin and tightening the loose screws and the strings, he played the melody pure and sweet and caroling angels sing. And then the music ceased, 
And the auctioneer with the voice that was quiet and low said, what am I bid for this now, this old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand? Who will give me two? Two thousand? Three thousand? Three thousand? Three thousand going once, three thousand going twice, and gone. And the people cheered, and some people just cried. We don't quite understand what has changed this worth. Swiftly came the reply, the touch of a master's hand. And many mans of worth, life out of tune, and battered and scarred with sin, is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. The mess of porridge, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once, going twice. He is going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd can't quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. You know, God has given us an opportunity to be touched by his hand today. You know, if you have never received Christ, take that opportunity today. If you're someone who's saying, man, I've been edging God out, this is your opportunity to get right with him. Because you know why? We want to build his grip upon our lives, his Holy Spirit. So that way we can hear him better, we can know him better, and we can change our spiritual walk forever. Let's pray.